0: What would your education utopia look like? What changes would you make to the way we educate our future leaders? The Fresh Forward podcast is here to inspire ambitious educators like you to have fun, dare to experiment, and shake up adult education. Every two weeks, you'll hear from brave teachers who decided to do things differently, plus my tips on how to put the lessons they've learned into practice. I'm your host, Nija Krik a learning experience designer, and a relentless optimist on a decade-long journey in education innovation. Now, let's make your education utopia a reality, shall we? Today I'm talking to Maya Bahoshi, and she has worn many hats over her career, from behavioral change officer for humanitarian aid projects to community manager at a global university. She is at heart a facilitator, educator, coach, and teacher, with a core focus in supporting youth on their journey to a deeper understanding of self and the world around them. In all her work, Maya focuses on designing interactions that encourage people to connect consciously and compassionately with themselves, others, society, and the rest of the natural world. She has incorporated these values into the design of educational experience, ranging from one-day youth workshops to ongoing coaching relationships with students and professionals. Currently, she primarily works as Head of Impact and Engagement at Thoughtbox Education, an education social enterprise aimed to support a culture of care within schools, promoting self-care, people care, and earth care. In addition, she is a coach with Untapped AI, supporting organizations undergoing transformational change. She holds a Bachelor in Physiology from Oxford University, a Master's in International Development from George Washington University, and her PGCE as a math teacher from Goldsmiths. She truly believes in the power of the next generation to lead the change we need to live in a peaceful, sustainable, and prosperous world, and the potential of the current generation to guide them there. Maya, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much, Anesha. It's amazing to be here. Very excited for this.
0: What I would love you to tell me first is, how did you get to do what you do? What is your origin story? What was the spark that said,
1: this is what I wanna do? Sure, I mean, there's so many different parts to that. And I'm, as I said, I'm glad you can see the red thread. And I think, like with everything in life, in retrospect, it all makes a lot of sense. But my, my journey has been quite circuitous. Um, I started, School, I was very much a scientist, I say. Um, I excelled in maths and science and very much an English system where you focus quite soon. I was advised to focus on what I was good at versus potentially where interests lie. And there is much more that I can dive into into what that's taught me about education. But having focused on that, I was exploring, yeah, be it medicine, be it research and so went to university, very traditional, did an undergraduate in physiology, got slightly disillusioned with studies and the subject and was more interested. It fostered and it allowed me to look bigger picture. And so I then looked more international development, global health. I knew I was never going to go down the corporate fence. For me, purpose, human development was always going to be at the forefront. And I explored and played around with the ideas of psychology at the time, but had being very much told I was a scientist that writing was not my forte. Despite loving reading, the idea of what that could entail was a bit overwhelming for my very fixed mindset. I stayed down the science route and stayed away from things that might have really opened it up at that time. Needless to say, I got back to it in the end. So I worked in international development for a while, focusing on behaviour change, unbeknownst to me at the time, but looking at how do we start changing health behaviours, how do you change community behaviours in a number of different projects in Jordan. And I decided if I was going to stay in this field, I should probably do a master's because no one understood where physiology got me into international development. Uh, I, I could tell anyone about looking at systems thinking and how things worked. And I think if, if there's one thing that an uh, English undergraduate degree gives you is the ability to, to make those connections and, and look beyond the subject. But I did my master's in international development and there I really got into the psychology side of it. So I looked at health behavior change. I did social psychology and that's where my passions really started to grow within that area.
0: Do you remember Mm -hmm. a turning point where your brain and your heart and everything just went like, yes,
1: this is where I want to go? Yeah, I think it's funny because I went into it trying to stay away and go bigger picture than health. But sitting in firstly seeing classes around behavior change in psychology and pushing to do that. And then sitting in one of the classes where it's like these were the, these are some of the theories and the processes around how we develop our behaviors, how we change. I'm like, this makes sense. I understand this. It's so very intuitive to me in a way and fascinating that put everything else aside. Like this is, this is where I want to be and, and how to foster people in that. I stayed in it. I actually advocated to work and, and set up a bit of a branch in the organization I was working in so that they focused on behavior change. So it was a humanitarian relief organization at the time. And most of this work was more in the longer term development. Yeah. Uh, but I was advocating for no matter what we do, we're going and trying to promote some health behaviors. Let's actually do this a bit more rigorously than putting up the standard, go wash your hands, your UK sign. There's there's some really good work out there. So I did that for a while and moved back to the UK. I needed to stay in the UK, but I didn't like sort of the hierarchy of headquarters advising people in the fields that I'd never really been to, that I didn't know enough. And I also opened my eyes to actually there's a hell of a lot of work back home that needed to be done. I also had the fortune of in looking around and looking at social enterprises a bit more met with someone who was doing a coaching course and looking at a bit more innovative education youth development and that really also started ringing a bell and i think that brought me back to the idea of working with younger people and working with people in general i mean the other big turning point was i did do a coaching training course and the validation that that gave me of Having been raised on the very intellectual side, academics, hard skill focus, but being innately much more of a soft skill, human relational side, it was amazing to go somewhere and that be valued and seeing the impact I could give. You just said a word of soft skill,
0: right? And you made it in brackets. You and I, I think we have an intuitive kind of eek about the soft skills because they are so important. It's what makes the fabric of the society work, and all of that stuff. Without that, we can't function. Yet they are put on on the parking lot. Ah, secondhand stuff. Nah, 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 nah. So when you said it, I was like, ah, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. yeah. <laughs> if I were to challenge you to give them another name,
1: how would you categorize them? It's it's true. I I think in some ways fundamental human skills, or it's relational there's something about that but even there there's it's changing for sure people's attitude to to these so be it communication empathy listening skills they are gaining more weight and relevance but I'd say I think fundamental would definitely be a word there just to give it that gravity and then yeah human relational interrelational skills but it's not even interrelational. There's an aspect of that around knowing yourself, being able to tune in with yourself as much as it is with others. I think
0: fundamental human relational, all of that stuff applies way more than soft skills. Soft skills,
1: yeah. yeah.
0: If we go back to your your line yeah. of story, you know, you landed back in UK. You were like, oh, this makes so much more sense. I'm
1: frustrated about certain things. Then what? So after the coaching training course, I landed upon a sort of career change leadership program called On Purpose that took predominantly people who are working in the corporate sector to train them up and help them transition into the purpose sector. I came from the other end of already being in the purpose sector, but being quite interested in social enterprises and needing to be skilled up a bit more in that strategic thinking, because often where there is passion, there is less structural rigor in the in the training and the support so i joined that program and locked out in landing myself in two youth-based programs uh, so you could be in anything from impact investing to there was a community transport program i my first program was actually with king's college london in their widening participation looking at behavioral insights to increase the engagement of underrepresented groups at university and so it was a nice intersect but again look, got me looking at what is the state of education and higher education in particular that mammoth organization how do you start shifting it to make it more again people-centric to a certain extent and the other one was looking at national it was with the national citizen service which was a huge national program for 15 16 year olds trying to develop social responsibility, social integration, social cohesion. And there I was, again, looking at the curriculum, what were some of the programs we were implementing? How were they designing some of the workshops to make it impactful? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was anything from first aid to money management, and yeah. which was a great, okay, what goes on around education? How are these vital life skills being taught? And I also ended up working on a number from then youth programs, with different education organizations, uh, one a small summer program, the other one I managed to gate crash, let's say, the big Congress gathering of a set of schools, the United World Colleges, which I was always interested in, in their global mission of using education for peace and sustainability, and the way that they worked. So I somewhat just showed up and wheedled my way in, which opened a lot of doors in terms of. Again, working with youth in very innovative, creative ways, looking at experiential learning, looking at really that finance sector like, of personal development for youth around big topics and creating those safe sort of spaces. I then also started looking at different education trainings, did a training with chaos pilots that brought more structure into creating experiential experience and um, learning experiences and learning journeys, which was fascinating. And that's where our worlds connect,
0: right? Exactly. Uh, purposeful participatory learning design, facilitation, and that type of stuff as an infusion to what, in my opinion, is still very much missing in higher education or in adult education, let's put it like that, right? Yeah.
1: I'd say in pretty much all education, especially from about seven, if, 11, if not seven yeah. years onwards, yeah, we start getting very cognitive So
0: now we kind of know your story, how you came to where you are now. And now if I challenge you to name that red thread, what is the reason that you're doing what you're doing right now? Throughout it
1: all, it's been around helping people reach their potential, open up their doors, help them become their fullest self. And I think the latest, it was probably always there, But now, in particular, it's really how do we help people, and and more particularly for me, the end goal is the young people become their fullest self for the benefit of the world. Because somewhat, I believe the way that we educate, the way that we develop, has been in ways that have led to a lot of the challenges, both mental, societal, and environmental challenges that we see in the world today. So how? in empowering people to become their fullest selves and reconnect with themselves, can we actually help create a better, and more sustainable, more fulfilling world? Beautiful.
0: My mission statement is similar, basically a different version of what you just said. For me, it's so important that we really empower the education Professionals to be able to support these young people to be the best selves, right? That's my angle. And that's why I really designed this podcast also to serve the people who are really stepping into adult education as educators and want to do something different. And that leads me to a question that I'm curious about. You have so much overview of what's happening right now, if not everywhere, at least in the UK, right? What is education innovation for you? Is that such a thing? Does this even exist? Do we need it? Like, what is it?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think it really speaks to the fact that we don't really know. You speak to different people, it's going to come in different ways. A lot of the go-to is technology. Education innovation is bringing technology into the classroom. Uh, (laughs) And yet the focus has always been on these are the cool tools, not how do we use it? What is the purpose of it? And I think what would be most innovative in education right now is really to sit and question, what is the purpose of education? And so in that sense, I think, Do we need innovation in education? I think we need change in education. Um, One of the challenges I have with the concept of innovation is that it's always around something new. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't let you even settle on this new thing because it's then, as soon as you've used it, it becomes old and we constantly need this change versus looking, and there's an end goal, or again, this tool side versus what is the process that itself might be continuing to develop with our needs. And many things I think that we need to bring into education are actually going back pre-industrial revolution, pre-actually a lot of a more fixed society into how do we innately learn and understand. So not so much new innovation and, and technology, those can be enhancers, but let's go back to actually how do we old school learn and connect with ourselves and each other and bringing that into education.
0: I'm so happy that you mentioned the novelty for the sake of novelty. Let's say in the last, in the pandemic times, I've been teaching university professors transformative learning facilitation and basically facilitation for, with the transformative edge And they came to this course so exhausted of we need to do new stuff all the time. Everybody's saying just grow, grow, grow. But aren't we enough? Like this is the message that we're getting is that we are not enough the way we are. So we really focused on, okay, what is it that you already have? How can you maximize the tools that you already have and enhance your presence as an educator? and really, you know, have fun, and be playful, and be resourceful with what you have, because there's so much once you step into your classroom, either being corporate training, or a university classroom, or high school, whatever, everything you need is there, and that's your students, right? So I'm so happy that you touched upon that novelty for the second novelty. It can be a beautiful enhancement, yeah, but
1: it should not be the only thing to do. No, exactly, and and more of I. It's this idea that, okay, we've done it before, we need something new, but actually the people you're living it to have, have never experienced it before. It's still going to be novel for them, and you can then tweak it, enhance it, but why do we keep throwing it out and trying to create something new? And I think there's a little bit of our own embedded idea of, our oh, things need to be new and changing and, and constant. We have a fear of stability.
0: Of course, I'm a business owner. So for me, the parallel is you need to grow all the time, all the time, all the time. So I really am embracing the concept of enough within business. And I want to also apply this with everybody that comes to my practice. Like, what is your enough? Where will you be at peace and the most happiest, you know, educator that you can be? Because then... We can prevent all of the churn of the people that leave education because it's too much.
1: Growth is one of those very toxic words, I find. We were at an event, um, actually, a, a workshop around what is the future of business learning going to be. Uh, and there, there was an aspect of, yeah, okay, it's around their uh, growth. And like growth, often, the way that we still use it is this idea of limitless growth. And it's never enough but if you look at nature's systems that's not true and we're really hitting actually the the peak of this growth and and feeling the the impacts of that so if we don't lean into this and allow us to actually ease into those flows this growth 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 leads to burnout leads to collapse leads to never actually being satisfied with where you're at right now so yeah like this year for me has also been one around embracing what is enough and you can develop i think in some ways develop versus grow allows for that easing and accepting for things to change but it's not necessarily just about growth growth in numbers growth in impact growth in reach no how about developing to the needs that are there and that's not growth
0: so what's what's the change that you would like to see in the future of education if you had a magic wand you know, you can do bibidi babidi boom. Boom.
1: All done. Sorted. Oh, oh there cool. are so many. Um, Bring it on. <laughs> I in part okay, there's the standard in terms of access and, and such. But I think in terms of ways that education, I think an appreciation of whole body, whole person education needs to be brought up. As I alluded to earlier, education right now we think cognitive knowledge transfer, knowledge development, even wisdom put at that cognitive brain level. But so much of how we move in the world, how we act in the world, how we even process the world actually happens in the whole body, and hence the, the true impact of experiential learning. We learn so much from the way that we are, and we learn so much from the unspoken of the teacher in front of us, intentionally or not, that until we in, incorporate that, we're missing and actually potentially negatively impacting the learning of people around us. And so you look at, OK, fine, you're sitting in school, you're teaching them. I, I, we look a lot around well-being and that you can be standing there and teaching them about being well and how to look after yourself. And yet those teachers are stressed out. They, they are exhausted. Their body tells a completely different story. And the students are going to learn so much more from that than the words being said. Mm -hmm. So the more that we can actually realise that learning happens through whole self and incorporate that into the planning and the way that we are, I think we're missing and negatively impacting everything that we're learning in in education and therefore as a result, the way that the world is, is going.
0: Yeah, you touched upon experiential learning. So for the people who are unfamiliar with this particular term, how would you explain it in a sentence or two? What's that different to other type of learning?
1: I think in part experiential learning, to put it simply, is learning through an experience, um, but a whole bodied experience. And it can be anything from getting an activity where you're standing up, moving around, re- kind of putting yourself into positions and learning from the wisdom of the body in that to role play to a certain extent where you're recreating and allowing for different ideas and different narratives to come out. It's not so much practical education. Mm -hmm. um, And I'm, I'm working through this nuance again with our team. We're looking at leadership training and it's not so much, okay. we want them to audit their school, for example. Okay, let's let's practice doing this audit. No, it's it's really getting up and understanding what are the. The values. And how does it feel to embody the things that we're trying to teach? So we talk about wellbeing. How do you create a space where they feel well? You talk about creating safety. Those people who are learning have to experience it themselves to know and be able to recreate it and put the value on it that it needs. So going back again to the challenges we see in teaching kids about well-being, if staff are not able to experience it, you can't truly educate people in that either. And I think one of the biggest blocks in leading to this change is that we don't have enough experiential learning as it is. So the people making those decisions leading this change aren't able to experience the change that they want themselves. And so can't, don't have the confidence to to push it forwards either. Yeah.
0: I remember I made several experiments in the courses that I run, I always experiment, right? To how to put people in situations where they experience a a certain type of value, a certain type of energy, a certain type of emotion. So I remember there's a lot of resistance in the education system that, and and, in the university I was working with. And so... When I was listening to them, I was like, okay, next time we're going to be talking about resistance. They were like, oh, we're going to talk about resistance. You know, that safe space. We're going to talk about it. It was all online. It was, you know, peak of the pandemic and we were dancing. So they were like, holy cannoli, we're dancing online with 25 people. They're all my peers. And oh my God. And I expected, like, this was my assumption that we would really create an experience where the resistance would come up so that we could, you know, feel it and then talk about it. Now, I was a bit <laughs> surprised because they all loved it instead of being <laughs> resistant. <laughs> so it's, it's a constant, right? right? Um, experimentation and going back. and. But I can tell you that doing that in a different environment, there was a lot of resistance and we had lots of stuff to do and work about it. Uh, talk about. But thank you so much for this one. Yeah, cool. And the way I understand your story is that a classical teacher training will not equip you with this, they will not equip you, not, neither with tools, neither with man- mindsets, skill sets that you need in order to pull this off. So for me, it's it was so beautiful to see that whenever you talk about or you send a profile over of you, you don't say that you're a teacher that much, you say that you're a facilitator. So can
1: you talk about that nuance for yourself? I think the difference between teaching and facilitating in part is where is the source of that information coming from. So in teaching, there is a transfer of information from the teacher to the student, I have knowledge, I'm giving it to you, you now have knowledge. Sometimes within that, there is also a bit of, okay, what do you do with this knowledge? But at its simplest, that's what teaching is. Facilitation, there is a little bit more of this idea of actually the knowledge, the information, the learning is coming from within the participant. And what the facilitator is there to do is create the environment and the support and process for that to come out and for the participant to be able to learn from themselves and equip themselves with that knowledge and wisdom. And that's, that's the big difference. Of course, there's always gonna be certain things that need to be taught, trained, information provided, but facilitated is that shared space if actually the wisdom isn't with the person at the front, it's within you, how do you get that out?
0: And with the group, right?
1: I and always, with the group.
0: Yeah. I always ask my, my participants, please, if you need to ask something, ask me yes i'm always here for you for you but don't forget to ask people around you and don't for, don't forget to ask yourself because you are your best resource right and then they go like oh oh
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah yeah it speaks to i think one of those things those mindsets you learn in in school and education again that that fits because the way if it's done that it's done is Other person, hierarchy, teacher at the front, person above me, knows I don't, I need to learn from that. And that's the only place I can learn from versus myself. And teaching and learning only happens in a school setting, not outside it. And I think the idea of facilitation, experiential, getting out of the classroom, batching, really actually better equips people for the world. So as you said, ask themselves, learn from themselves, learn for themselves, and in any context in the world.
0: And there's something that I always remind my clients is, please,
1: one of your roles
0: is also to remind you, your participants or your students that there is an outer world, that what you're learning here needs to be applicable. Otherwise, why are we doing it? And sometimes with, especially with university level, that can be a challenge because there's highly cognitive and you know, theoretical concepts and all of that stuff, but everything is deriving from reality around us. So why not kind of bring it back to its origin? so facilitation for me is a form of leadership however if we have a leadership conversation that will probably be a different type of leadership than what we are uh, let's call traditionally used to the, the definition right so let me ask you like this if this is what you do and this is why you're doing it to bring the best of young people and make them or help them be their best selves what is the leadership that you had to step into to be able to do this work What is the, if I put it differently, what's the growth that you needed to do, right, to be able to do this work? And you're giggling. I can see
1: you. (laughs) Well, I mean, first off, I'm going to change it from needed or needing or that I have to what I'm still doing. It, It is a constant process. And one that I'm hands up going to say I'm not particularly good at doing is practicing what I preach to a certain extent. What is How can I learn to learn and trust myself? How can I tune into my intuition, my whole body experience, and move away from the cognitive side of it? How can I learn to lead in a way that is more than just that old traditional way of thinking, but what comes naturally? And I remember realising I was running a youth programme, or No, the first time I was was one of the facilitators in a youth program and due to a number of circumstances, kind of stepped up to lead the team and work. And that was it's a very natural thing sometimes for me to do in a very relational way. Mm -hmm. A couple of years later, I was then officially the leader of a youth program. Out goes everything that comes naturally. In comes everything that I thought it would be. And I struggled. And so it's, okay. how do you start to unlearn for yourselves these ideas to allow your fullest potential to trust in your fullest or my fullest potential to come through? And I think that's the growth that I need to do is to trust as well in the unknown, in the uncertainty of what it is to lead, what it is to live in this world when you crave certainty, which I think is what old school education gives you question answer i mean one of the reasons i loved maths and science was there's a clear answer you get it right or you get it wrong and there's no question about it yeah none of this english interpretation so learning to to allow myself to sit in that uncertainty be safe in that to allow others to as well so why do you think
0: that is such a that particular sitting in this uncertainty why is that so difficult to do not only for yourself, but for everyone, right? And we're talking something that a change in the way we educate could course correct, hopefully for the better in the future. So I'm really curious, what's your opinion? What, why does this
1: come to life? I think it is natural, well, to a certain extent for us to want certainty, but how much, okay, is that natural? How much is that already trained in us and the systems lead to that? But to want to have an answer, to know where things are. And our brain does make shortcuts. So you look at biases and such. So it's pocketing people into certain things just to make it simpler cognitively. Otherwise, it's constant overwhelm. And there's this idea that, okay, in uncertainty, what can I do? There's a, there's a need for control, or there's this sensed idea that we need to be in control. And uncertainty kind of throws that out the window. So as I said, you look back at the way that we're educated from a younger age. And it is this idea that there is a right or wrong answer to everything. So to be in a place where that isn't the case, therefore we're trained, is uncomfortable, isn't the place to be in. Whereas much of the world, especially at the rate of change that we are now at, is uncertain, is unknown. So how can we learn to sit within that? And I think the other angle of that is then to trust our inner wisdom that might be coming out. Because within this unknowing, I think there is that chance to create. And I think we all know the world that we want to create. But sometimes that is very much odd if the world that we are told we are living in. So what do we go to? It's what we're told, not what we want. And so I think one of the key skills in terms of navigating that uncertainty is that ability to to look partly inwards and trust that inner wisdom, that inner knowing and that inner want that sometimes we're told is not not possible not available yeah
0: and so if you look at back at your own education time when you were in let's call it traditional education time right um to really step into that leadership that you were talking about how did that education trajectory before help you or not to really be able to do this leadership or development and growth that you're talking
1: about constant process of developing in your own it has potentially done more damage than good. Mm-hmm. And one one anecdote if when I made that realization, I think, I was tasked with setting up an innovation hub in a school. And it would be the space where this is the sort of learning where students are allowed to be creative, to look into the unknown, to try what they think might be possible, to design their own projects. And in many ways that was the task that I was given. I had to create this whole new approach to something. And I remember standing in this space and I, I, struggling with it, struggling with the uncertainty, struggling with the need to trust in what I not just innately knew. There was a lot of people out there doing this and with, with the results, but it's not mainstream. I'm pushing against what I have experienced personally, but what I know is true and failing because that was the way that I was educated, because I thrived in that education, I did very well, I got good grades, I went on to prestigious universities. But that taught me to find the right answer. And as as we just said, there, there is none necessarily in this world or in this uncertainty, there is no set goal. And when you're trying to recreate something new, you have to be able to trust that and retrofit that confidence to a certain extent, okay, I'm going to prove it because I'm going to do it, you're going to see the results. And that's where I think experiential, to a certain extent, um, experiential learning comes into its strength. You learn and you can do the theory or the understanding, the cognitive side afterwards, once you've felt the impact of that learning.
0: So I'm assuming, if I put my words on to what I'm hearing you say, is that being a good student did not necessarily prepare you for the innovation that you wanted to set up. You had the ideas, you had this inner wisdom that this is what should happen to you know, enable everything that you wanted to enable. However, the conditioning that you gained through the education system was telling you, you need to look for the answer outside of yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, your story could be copy pasted on mine or the other way around because I was also a very, very good student. And I started to rebel only when I was 30 because I was challenged to look at all of my patterns and all of my beliefs. And I was shaken, stirred, Put upside down, all of that, right? And then I'm thinking, so many of the current education force is women. And that gets me a bit worried. So I'm wondering, what could we do in this conversation? What tips, what experience you can share with us that women who are listening to this can and recognize themselves as a good student? How can we help
1: them break out of that mold? Yeah, it's true, because it it is something, it's funny, women, I think, are even closer to intuitively knowing, to the natural wisdom, have a a stronger grasp of it, and yet we're also the ones, well, in different ways, but who are strongly conditioned to ignore that. We've grown up very much in a man's world of going into the structure and have learned to very much disconnect from that. I think, for me, what has been the greatest is finding like-minded women who are maybe a couple of steps along that journey to help reassure and guide and that you can comfort. And if, if you can't find anyone else who is further along, even someone who's at the same point with you to question, to explore and to rebuild that trust. And I say focusing on women. There are many men I know who are also on this journey. And if, if you can find them, As well, bring them along, and we do need to bring them along that journey. But there is something about our own unique experience and our own wisdom that makes it a bit more of a safer space if you can find them. Flip side, sometimes at work, because of that conditioning, women can be the worst people to be around because we're trying to break it and fit in, and that doesn't work. But I have learned, and I'm very fortunate now to be working in an organization. Our founder is very much eats, sleeps, practices the values that we work for around self-care people care earth care that is that guide for me she calls it out in me to go take that break when things are overwhelming to realize are, are we checking in with ourselves because of that disservice and so have those role models around you to work work through it and then again like experiential learning the results will speak for themselves if you can give yourself the space to do that
0: yeah and I remember in our prep talk, you were talking about the triple disconnect that you're working with in your organization. Yeah. Can you tell a bit about about the, what it is yeah. out of it?
1: So we look at the, the challenges that we're seeing in the world, partly very much connected, but are linked to this triple disconnection. So the fact that we have, through, again, the training that we've just been talking about, the education, um, you look at social media, you look at the world, Become very disconnected from ourselves. So we don't hear our internal wisdom. That again could be this whole body learning and experience that we've said. So we've disconnected ourselves from that. And that has led to all of the mental health challenges that we see today in many ways the stress, the anxiety, the depression, uh, which is just on the rise and, and heartbreaking to see. We have become disconnected from each other increasingly. And there is a and need more and more to make further divisions in the world, or the sense to make further divisions in the world. And that is leading to greater racism, greater sort of social inequality, this separation. And it's coming from a lot of fear. So back, take that step back, that that mental health, uh, fear-based disconnection in, in self, leading that. And then from that societal lens, that social disconnection, we then look at the world that we live in, the way that we look at the natural the rest of the natural planet as a resource for us to extract for that continual growth that we talk about because we are disconnected from the idea of how much we are connected a part of that system and so it's these triple disconnects that all reinforce each other because if you think if we're more connected to nature how how much better well-being we have for me I live by a beautiful park And if things are overwhelming, just going and sitting there and reconnecting with nature helps my own well-being. Um, Similarly, connecting humanly to each other because that is a natural need helps. So they're all interconnected and yet currently we're in a bit of a cycle of reinforcing the disconnect between them. You can pin most of the issues that we see in the world towards that concept. So a lot of what we do is how do you bring in connection? And so through healthy, building healthy relationships with yourself, learning to better understand yourself, listen to your needs, listen to your boundaries. How do you communicate that in a way? How do you learn to better listen, understand and overcome some of those fears around working with other people? And then how do we start to reconnect with the, <laughs> people often say the silent voice of nature, but nature is not silent. We just no. don't know how to listen to it. And I mean, more and more, it's making itself very, very evident. But how do you start to reconnect with, with nature um, and build a healthier, more sustaining relationship on all those three levels.
0: So you're working outside of the official education system, trying to stimulate the educational organizations through these programs that you're doing. If we look at these triple disconnect, could you give the listeners who really want to reconnect on all of these levels, can you give either a tip or a question that they can help that can help them to start weaving that connection back?
1: Sure. I mean, simply and truthfully learning how to answer the question. How am I? I think if you, even if we learned to start with that, you'd open a lot. Yeah. From there. Okay. You could at okay how do you listen to yourself where are you answering that from develop that understanding how do i feel in certain situations and then once you've learned how to answer that for yourself can you learn how to ask and listen to that from someone else how is the person next to you what what are their needs yeah and just learning to develop that empathy and that ability to sit sit with that and then again similarly with the world what what is going on how do i learn to listen? to the world and and look back at what that is giving me as well beautiful i'll I'll just start with how are you and try to really truly honestly how are you how am i
0: this was the question that i gave my last cohort of participants and i gave them you know just go in duos in your rooms and just talk about how are you really right now and they, were, they came back they were really stressed. Oh, my God, 20 minutes talking about myself. And then they came back with these peaceful faces saying it was so nice to just have time to talk about these basic things.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I was so grateful that they dared to talk about it with people who they haven't met. You know, they met these people five months ago. And now they were talking about how are you really... So thank you so much for bringing this question to focus. It's so important, so essential. And to start rounding off our conversation, what is the, the project that most excites you right now? And you would like to invite our listeners to either check it out or, or you know, somehow get involved because there's nothing without action, right? And really yeah. bringing it back to reality and what's possible. So what excites yeah. you? What are you inviting us into?
1: For sure. I mean, I think what's excite exciting right now is the project that we are working on with uh, at work. So I work for an organisation called Thoughtbox Education, and we are now developing and looking to really pilot this leadership course around regenerative leadership. That is bringing head teachers, senior leaders, into a space where they can start that journey, reconnecting with themselves, and really starting with that before we look at the school, before we look at the teaching helping them to reconnect with themselves and feel that at that level before reconnecting with what is it with teaching? What is this organization? How can we start developing a much healthier ecosystem within the school to then support the younger people to reach their potential? And it it's new, it's, uh, it's exciting in part. It's also terrifying for everything that I've said about sitting in uncertainty and sitting in, in the wisdom that, you know, and again, e- isn't unfounded. There, there is a lot of science. There is a lot of wisdom, current and a- ancient, as well as the, the wisdom we say. Um, we work with nature's wisdom and neuroscience, tying those two together. And so there is a lot of knowledge underpinning this, but it's not currently the mainstream and it's not what's known. And so working with that resistance in ourselves to trust this process and very grateful for those who've already signed on to this and those who will. To go down this journey because it's it's truly in changing these spaces and changing education that I think we we'll, will lead to the change in the world that we see, and yeah, that for me is fundamentally why I always believe in in education as one of the strongest ways to change the world it's what you teach and what you learn sets the groundwork for where are we going beautiful I
0: oh include all the links in the in the notes below so they can click 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 and and have a conversation and all of that stuff so thank you so much for for being here and for telling us all of this beautiful stuff that you're doing and your thoughts and I really hope that our listeners get out a provocative thought and hopefully an encouragement to reconnect to them with themselves and then encourage that also in their students, be it on a corporate training level, be it on in universities, being in high school. It doesn't matter. We all need that triple reconnect. Let's call it like that.
1: Exactly. Thank you very much for the space and the the chance to explore it, Whitney.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. I hope you feel inspired to experiment and inject more of yourself into your classroom. One thing is certain, you can do whatever you set your mind and heart to. I dearly believe that. If you long for more inspiration and practical tips, sign up for the newsletter where I share exclusive content related to the podcast episodes. Jump to nežakrik.com slash newsletter and join a community of fun, ambitious educators like yourself. Till the next episode... Have fun.